Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Jonas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls and the Bulls managed to trade into the second round. I feel nothing about that one way or the other. A lot of people thought the Bulls had to trade into this draft. I think any trade you make, you just evaluate, did what you give up? Was it worth what you got? And so just theoretically trading into this draft, I don't think has any value. It just depends if what you used to get into the draft was more or less valuable than what you got out of the draft. And, you know, too early to tell. Fundamentally, it looks like they traded two future second round picks. The earliest they can be is 26 and 27. I have not seen yet where they've been specified. It makes me think that there may be some larger piece of this that happens later, and they've not been specified yet. For pick number 35, uh, that generally seems like pretty good value if the the picks don't have a specific, uh, I guess, number to them because 35 is in the range where you're reasonably likely to get a rotation player. And, you know, if you get two picks later, that end up being 48 and 47 or something, those combined are definitely generally not worth pick 35. So I think the trade value-wise probably ends up being good. Maybe a little bit nervous that we just keep throwing away future assets uh, for now. But, you know, really, this is a player that you're hoping is going to develop over time. So it's not really trading future assets to win now. You know, this is a player they had to have liked enough to think he's going to do something. So Julian Phillips, the player they got, he is a Derek Jones Jr. type of player, maybe even specifically picked to replace Derek Jones Jr., who did not pick up his option. More on that later. He is a defender. He is super athletic. He has no offensive game whatsoever. That's kind of like my quick 30-second scouting report on him. I've not gone and done a lot of looking. I'll probably look into him a lot more later and then try and find you know some some draft videos and other stuff on him. But you know, right now, I think that's the takeaway is we got another guy who's sort of in our mold. We seem to have a type, which is defensive hustle players, and it is definitely not shooters. One of the things I thought might be good if Derek Jones Jr. left the team was even though I liked him and thought he was on a value contract, if we replaced him with a shooter, that would be great. You know, adding another non-shooter to this team just doesn't feel directionally like something meaningful to improve the team going forward. That said, if you're going to get into the second round, all you do is you do it to get a player you think is valuable and is going to be a good player in the future. You know, most of the guys at this point are still going to be busts. Even in the 30 to 40 range where they're more likely to hit, even then, like probably 70% of them are just not rotation players. And so if you get a rotation player, it doesn't matter what they can do, what their skills are. You just want to get a good player who's talented. And so hopefully Julian Phillips will be just that. One thing that's, at least I think, is a little bit more rare is he's 19 and in the second round. Usually the guys coming out as freshmen are going to be first-round picks. So the fact that he's still very young and then has his future growth potential, uh, maybe you'll just see what happens. Definitely has the athleticism to be a really good player in the NBA, but his offensive skill set just needs massive improvements. So we'll just see what the coaching staff and the development staff and his own personal work ethic and all the training he puts in can do to get him from point A to point B. But he's got a long way to go, I think, to become an NBA player, other than maybe a niche defender, which, yeah, maybe. We'll see. So that's it on uh, Julian Phillips. Uh, whatever. I am not, not upset about it. Not happy about it. Just is what it is. Hope he, hopefully it turns out. We'll just give the kid a chance. Not going to worry about it too much right now. So uh, Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley had a press conference. I listened to all 20 minutes of it, so you don't have to. And I'll kind of sum it up. On uh, Julian Phillips, they think he'll contribute right away. They think losing 
Derek Jones Jr. impacted their decision to draft him. Uh, I think that's a scary thought that you think you're going to get a second rounder is going to replace a guy that was an NBA player and an above minimum salary contract. Like you didn't need to fit another guy in this role. And and maybe when I hear Mark Eversley say this, a part of me thinks like he's just saying what he thinks people want to hear. Like, oh yeah, it makes sense. We drafted this guy because we lost this other guy and he thinks people will be pleased with that answer. But it's really a terrible answer. Like it's really a terrible answer. Like to say like, yeah, we thought Derek Jones Jr. left so we should get another Derek Jones Jr. Like I think he just fell into that. It, it sort of makes me question his intelligence that he thought that was a good answer to the question. And if that really is his answer, and I actually don't think that really is why we drafted him, but if that really is the answer, it's even worse that you actually think that way. That you're like, well, we lost this guy who was actually completely superfluous to what we have because we had like six guys just like him and we need totally different skills. So we had to replace him. If you actually thought that, it's, it's like criminally bad. Uh, Arturus Karnaschovas actually said, they just want to get a talented player. They weren't looking at fit, which is my view philosophically towards this thing. And I think probably actually what they said, and I don't know. I just think these guys go up there trying to say what they think will sound good. But it scares me to think that Eversley thought that sounded good. Uh, anyway, uh, they discussed shooting a little bit. They brought in a shooting coach. and They were asked about the question, and they think you know they're making a commitment to improving their shooting by having the shooting coach. And they kind of dodged questions a little bit about adding shooters so they did say let's see what happens in free agency but when they were discussing free agency it seemed clear they were counting bringing back their own guys as part of this like bringing back kobe and io as part of the free agency picture and they talked a lot more about trying to fix the shot profile and whatnot and look i do think guys can improve their three-point percentage i do think they can become better shooters but when you're one of the worst shooting teams in the league and you can't even field five shooters on the floor, like in your best shooting lineup, you can't, you know, it's like two seconds left. You need five shooters and you can't put five shooters out there. Like two of your shooters who are in your top five are Vooch, who's, you know, so, so like 35% taking wide open threes and Pat Williams, who's a good percentage guy, but has a super slow release. And then Zach and then Kobe, who's good, but not elite. You got like one kind of maybe elite shooter in Zach. And then I don't know who the fifth guy is at, after that. Caruso? I mean, like, maybe? <laughs> I don't know who actually is. Like, that's scary. Like, almost any team in the league could probably take seven guys and put them out there. And we've got four. So that, 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 that you just can't address that just through coaching. You know, you just can't. You don't have enough time. Like, anyway, move, moving along there. Uh, so nothing really important came out there. And maybe I should proceed all of this talk about press conferences is press conferences or what I call a lose tie for the front office. Like no one's going to listen to what they say and say, wow, that was brilliant. I feel so much better about what's going on now. It's like either people point out stupid stuff you say, like I am now, or it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's reasonable. And you move on. And then they tend to be lose when your team is not doing well, regardless of what you say, because in the end, we're really just upset the team's not doing well. And so now we just pick apart whatever is said you know, in that context, because no words they say can make it better than it is, you know, so it's just kind of is what it is. So take all of this talk with a grain of salt, but I'm going to keep going anyway. On Vooch, uh, they think the Vooch trade worked out well. It was part of the path they got on to, to win. And apparently they think the path to winning worked out well because, you know, they got on it and they changed the direction of the franchise. Uh, we've won one playoff game in the last three years. We missed the playoffs this year. Uh, I don't think we are on a path of winning and I don't think our movement from being a rebuilding team to a team trying to win was successful. 
And they've sort of implied like it was like you did all these things, you gave up all these assets, but they kind of dodged the question. They started talking, was the first move we made in a, in a series of moves to be better. And yeah, you didn't really get a whole lot better, but you sure did pay a lot to do it. And this is again, one of those things where I'm like, there's probably nothing he's going to say that makes me happy. He's not going to throw Vooch under the bus while he's in the middle of a negotiation with him, you know, but if it were me, I would have loved to hear like, Hey, you know what? Obviously losing some of the assets we paid to get Vooch you know, is, was, was tough, but you know, we love what Vooch has brought to the team. You know, we hope we can go forward with him, but yeah, of course it was tough to lose a couple lottery picks. That's not Vooch's fault. That's on the team's poor performance by not making the playoffs, you know, and that, that was really an indicator of a lot of other things that happened and not just Vooch, Lonzo's injury, year three, Zach's injury and uh, in, in year one at the end of the season. So you know, it, it worked out to be a little worse than it was or whatever. Like you could say something like that and be like, yeah, okay, we're not trying to throw Vooch under the bus, but kind of acknowledge like, hey, this didn't work out great for us. But again, I get where they're not going to do that. It, it kind of makes sense to me. They're not going to do that. I did say extension talks are ongoing and uh, nothing new to report there, but they do have a little bit of extra window. They can talk with Vooch where no one else can, except that probably else, everyone else is anyway, because that's just how the NBA works. So <laughs> whatever that extra window is worth. Uh, discussed Lonzo expectation is that Lonzo will not be back this season. Uh, they will not wave and stretch him. They just hard put down that rumor. They said the disabled player exception is something they'll consider later. I've noted in my podcast several times, I think they should apply for medical retirement on Lonzo and not try to get a disabled player exception. And they should do that, you know, after he's out about two years, because there's no reason really to do it now. But if you do it later, then you have a better chance of getting it. And then you can get him off the books for next year. Uh, on Zach, they won't address any rumors on Zach, uh, but he's working hard and he was disappointed in the season's end. I thought this was interesting only in that it was an easy way to just shut down like, no, Zach's our guy. We're not going to trade him. Like that was a super easy thing to say and they didn't say it, which to me basically says like, yeah, we are shopping him around at least a little bit. Like we're not committed to this. So that's probably a good thing. Uh, you know, and how I, I read the line, between the lines there. No word on Andre Drummond yet on whether he will uh, take the uh, take his player option or not uh, some chance that Derek Jones Jr. will still be back even though he's a free agent you know they'll still keep the door open for him they said the ownership approved to pay the luxury tax as long as they're competitive and he used top four or six as competitive I don't think ownership views sixth as competitive I think if you just look at the general NBA landscape if you are top four in your conference your owner will probably consider paying the luxury tax and if you're not they probably won't like you could probably just say 99% of teams that have played the paid the luxury tax expected to be in the top four at the end of the season. That didn't happen for all of them. You got teams like Oklahoma city who paid it with Carmelo one year. And then like, we're like, Oh great. We're way worse than we thought. And then they immediately try to do all these moves to get out of it. But teams expect to be in the top four before they pay the luxury tax. So you can whine and complain about the bulls, not paying the tax all you want. It's fine. I don't care. And, and they don't care reasonably every owner in the league basically expects to be top four to pay the tax. Like that's just an expectation. They think they're going to at least get to the second round of the playoffs, top four in their conference, top eight overall. And if you don't think you're going to get to the second round, you're not going to pay it. And so to me, it's like, it's really hard to see, to connect, to see a, a scenario where I can connect the dots and say, yeah, the, the bulls are a top four Eastern conference team. After this, they're going to finish in a top four seed position. And they're probably going to win in the first round of the playoffs. Like, I don't know what combination of things would have to happen for that to be true, but it's really hard for me to envision it. So I don't anticipate we'll pay the tax. We'll see what happens, but I, I wouldn't hold your breath. And I also wouldn't complain about it. 
You can complain about it when you think this team can actually win something. But when they can't win something, you don't just keep throwing money at it. It's just not the way things go. And he did kind of, from a housekeeping perspective, say they will extend qualifying offers to Kobe and Io. So, yeah, nothing unexpected there. So that's kind of the gist of the press conference, uh, what I took out of it. I would say, generally speaking, when I listen to them speak, I think, man, these guys, I hope they're just lying. I, I hope everything they say to me is a lie. Like they, they discuss not wanting to rebuild um, their view on shooting, you know, Eversley's view on drafting this guy to replace Derek Jones Jr. Like some of these things they say, I'm just like, these are so criminally bad ways of thinking and looking at the way you manage a team that I just hope to God you're just trying to get through this press conference and keep things positive and whatever. And I think that's probably true. Like, I don't think they really want to say anything. They just want to get out of it as fast as they can without committing to anything. So I think that's probably true, but it's a bad feeling to me when I listen to two guys talk for 20 minutes and I'm just like, man, I hope none of this is true. Like, because if it's true, like, I just, I just don't think you're good at your job. And I don't, I mean, like, just to be clear, I don't think they're good at their job anyway. Uh, so on to other topics, uh, Nikola Vucevic, there's a lot of discussion about whether he will get extended. John Hollinger had his contract value at $8 million a year using his advanced stats. Like, that's what the stats pumped out for him. Hollinger, in his editorial about it, said that's probably a little light. He could see a deal like two thirty, you know, $15 million a year for two years, making sense for the Bulls. The Bleacher Report came out with three sixty-five as the number. Uh, we'll see what happens. But, like, to me, I, I think you don't want Vooch back over 15 million. I don't think he's an asset over 15 million. I think even at 15 million, it's dicey. Yeah. I, I discussed at great length last podcast, the Tonus plan, I believe of basically get 130 million under the cap and get a ton of extra draft picks suck really bad for two years. Um, keep using your cap space to acquire more assets for a couple of years. And then once you've got around 10, 12, 15 extra draft picks from everything you've done and no bad contracts on your books, your couple of your own high lottery picks, then you start trying to build forward and see what you can do. And then you can use your whatever up to 15 extra draft picks to bring in star players and all your cap room if you want, or to just build through the draft with a shotgun approach and just keep trading out to the future a little bit every year. You know, like Oklahoma City this year, they had a trade where it's like, oh, here's my late first rounder. I'm going to get another protective first rounder back and a second round pick. And so, yeah, that first round I get back lands in three years, but because I have so many extra picks, I don't care. I can't even use the pick this year anyway. It's probably going to be better than the 27th pick I just gave up and I'm getting a second rounder. And so I'm just continually increasing my asset pool, continually increasing my asset pool and continually having options and flexibility. And I just think you want to be in that type of mode with this team because you're so far away from doing anything. And so that gives you a, a path forward. Uh, we're not going to pay the price to be really bad and that's unfortunate because it's like a once in 10 years opportunity to take advantage of the new collective bargaining agreement, which will force tons of teams to start unloading salary. We did see the Golden State Warriors start doing that in advance by taking on Chris Paul and moving on from Jordan Poole, which basically solves their second apron you know, problem next year already. So we'll see how all of that shakes out, but it does look to me uh, like maybe some of those teams are already starting to think in advance of like, yeah, we can't, we can't keep doing this. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, in terms of Vooch, I just, assuming we're not going to go with my plan of just no extras, no, no salaries that go past one year. And you're going to go with this win now plan, which I disagree with. I think 215 is like about where I'm at. Like if you go, sorry, 215 per year. So 230. If you go over that, I just think he's, he's a non-asset. He's not going to be valuable for you. 
is going to chew up too much cap space. You're already dealing with dead space from Lonzo. I just, I just think you let him walk. You just use the mid-level exception on a center. I discussed a little bit last show. You basically can use two of the mid-level exception, Vooch and Kobe White. You're probably not going to be able to use all three. They do have a little bit more room now, though. An interesting thing about this, depending what contract they sign Julian Wright to, one of those minimum salary slots is now going to get filled by a rookie uh, free agent. So now he'll be $1 million. So that saves us a million. And then Derek Jones Jr. Uh, opting out will also save us $1.2 million. Now, I think they can start using, there's this new exception for second round picks. And if you do that, he, his salary would jump up to the, I think like $1.5 million range. Um, so you could sign him to a contract that way. I don't think the Bulls need to do that though, because I think they can just use part of their mid-level exception, sign him for three years using part of the mid-level exception and still start him at the rookie uh, minimum and then get that done without using the rookie exception. Uh, that does eat into our mid-level exception, but we're not going to have the whole thing anyway. And then it lowers his salary by doing that, which then gives us a little bit more of the mid-level exception we can use. So if you do those two things, that opens up another $2 million. The cap or cap slash luxury tax both went up about $3 million more than what was anticipated. So I think that gets us now up to around $5 million of the mid-level exception we could use with the expected numbers of Vooch and Kobe staying. So now we've got a little bit more play in there. We'll see what happens, though, with the actual contract discussions. I mean, that's just one of the things. Until you see what contracts they sign, it's hard to say. But so now there's a little bit more hope that maybe, maybe I'm wrong and we can fit in all three. And the second round pick on a longer term salary uh, would allow us to do just that because it does lower one of those minimum salaries along with Derek Jones Jr. opting out. If Andre Drummond were to also opt out, which we should know, I think it's in two days. This is the 23rd. I want to say his guarantee date was on the 25th or 26th. I don't remember exactly, but right around there. If he also ends up opting out, you'll save another 1.2 million and then... Again, you'll have a little bit more. Now, the downside to that is I think both Derek Jones Jr. and Andre Drummond are better than minimum salary players, and so you're going to replace them with minimum salary players. So you'll be able to get one slightly better player using a bigger chunk of the mid-level exception at the cost of two better than minimum salary players on your roster. So I don't know that ultimately that's going to work out well for the Bulls, but it is what it is. I mean, players take player options if it's bad for the team and good for them, and they reject them when it's good for the team and bad for them. So whenever you give a player option, you know in the end you're getting the negative end of that deal, whatever it is that year. So that's just part of the part of the math here. So it's not, you know, nothing to, to I guess, get overly uh, worried about. I saw this and I thought it was kind of funny. Since uh, the last transaction period, uh, since, sorry, since Lonzo, DeMar, and Caruso in that offseason, We've had two years, uh, and, and we've had three transaction periods, two trade deadlines in an offseason. The sum total of our moves over that period, signing Tristan Thompson to part of the biannual exception, which was just stupid and limiting, uh, selecting Dale and Terry in the 2022 draft, which seemed like a tremendous reach, signing Drummond and Dragic to min salary deals. Uh, Dragic obviously got waived later, I think, and Drummond a little bit over the minimum salary. I like Drummond on that contract. I wish we played him more, but we didn't. And uh, waving Tony Bradley to sign Pat Beverly to a remainder of the year contract in 2023. That's it in three transaction periods. I think that might be the fewest number of moves any team in the league has made without looking it up. That just, I bet it is. I bet it is. Like, it's just ridiculous. There's probably a couple other two-way things we did over that stretch or like little things, but those are the big moves, you know, uh, big in air quotes uh, there. 
And so now we can add on to that. This transaction period, we have thus far uh, made a trade for a second rounder and Julian Phillips, which, you know, seems like this is not a shot at Phillips at all, but it seems like a move in the same level, same caliber level as these, these moves, right? Like it's a guy who's going to be actually under the minimum salary, under the vet minimum salary, you know, so, you know, prospect, hope he works out. Um, never, I never want to get down on a prospect. We actually see him, see him on the court. So one trade I think that got proposed to me by a fan, his name's Matt, was DeMar for Vanderbilt, Beasley, and number 17 from the Lakers. Obviously, that didn't happen. I really like that trade, though, if it did happen, if we wanted to do something, but uh, didn't go that way. One challenge for the Bulls financially is Io DeSumo's qualifying offer is actually $5.2 million because they met starter criteria. And if he takes it, that definitely slims down the amount of room we have to use the mid-level exception. So it'll be interesting to see how that works, but we'll have uh, relatively little room under the luxury tax if, if he ends up taking the qualifying offer. You know, it doesn't really matter if we offer it because we're not under the cap, so it doesn't change what we can do. We just have to be under the luxury tax by the time all the roster is set and everything like that. So, and you can and you can you can just withdraw it. Like if he goes to take it, you can. There's like a date up to this point you can just like withdraw it. Uh, in, in less, so if he tries to take it just to force your hand, then you have, to, you have to decide right then. Do I want to withdraw this or do I want to let him take it? So uh, cap situation for the Bulls, a little bit tenuous. Rumors about Zach Levine, I kind of hinted at it in the press conference being shopped. Zach came out and said his camp, camp, whatever that means, that he doesn't want to go to the Knicks. Uh, we'll see what happens. But there's definitely some smoke around Zach Levine. And it made me think that, I used to think the worst case scenario for the Bulls was running it back. But I think Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley may be on to a scenario that's even worse. I'm going to just cross my fingers and hope this doesn't happen. But I think what they might do is instead of trading Zach for prospects or something else, they're going to turn Zach into two role players that are set to win now to bolster this roster and try and win now around Vooch and DeMar. Like, I can't think of a worse way to run the franchise than that. And as soon as I start hearing Zach rumors and not DeMar rumors, and it just made me think like, oh my God, there's a chance. There's a chance that they're actually going to try not to rebuild, but they're going to try to win now around our oldest players who have the least amount of timeline left by trading the one guy who potentially has value that could be flipped into a rebuild. We're going to move him for lesser players that wouldn't have that type of value but could help bolster the roster around the guys we have to win now and oh my god I can't think of anything worse like yeah I'm beside myself with fear as to what these guys might do uh going through that but we'll see it's uh it's really tough to figure out uh a worse path than what these guys will take but they they managed to surprise me consistently by by picking lower and lower percentage outcomes at, at actually doing something successful. So I want to discuss a little bit about team building through using economics. And I kind of hinted at this a little bit on the big red bus when we were discussing like, you know, a strategy. And so if you look at these things and you depersonalize it and you're a sociopath like me and you remove the human side altogether and how things fit when you're trying to win and you're trying to be, or, or even just be near the top of a thing, you need like a bunch of assets that kind of hit at the same time. Like, and, and you need 
flexibility to roll off some assets and bring new assets in. And so when you think about it, like you just want your asset base to be as large as possible and as sustainable as possible. And so when I, you, you look at that and that's a way that you can, you can keep kind of like momentum rolling in your favor by having a sustainable asset pool and by having as many assets kind of timed at one time as possible. And so you start thinking like, how do you achieve that? And this is sort of like the basis of why I came up with the plan I did. And I've discussed this idea before and the Thunder are the, maybe the only team in the league that's really implementing this hardcore is it's like, all right, we got a ton of draft picks and every year we're gonna just try and trade forward for more draft picks by using some of our lesser draft picks and get something that'll be more valuable in three years. Well, when three years comes due, that more valuable thing is now a current thing and you can trade it for something more valuable again. And so after you keep going out further and further into the future, your more valuable things are always, always there. So you're always accumulating more total value. You're always, always willing to trade an asset for something that's worth more in three years. But now three years later, that thing that was worth more is current. And so your current is always better than your past. And you, that's what I mean about creating the sustainable asset pool is always being proactive of like, just always take the deal where you feel like you're going to get something better in the future than what you have now. You just always take it. And then by doing that, you're eventually going to keep also accumulating the assets because they're better in the future are going to become good current assets in the now eventually for the ones that you use and you keep going. And then those assets, once they become players and not just picks, can also be traded for better things until you find the ones that group together, fit well, and you have this other thing going forward. And so from an economic standpoint, I think these types of moves are pretty much always available, at least right now, because the Thunder are the only team really trying to behave in this way. These moves are always available and it gives you a sustainability to what you want to do. And that's why to me, it's okay to suck for two years really badly. If I implement this philosophy and I'm able to create a sustainable pool where then after that, I'm always going to have excess picks because I'm always trading my picks for future picks just constantly. Every year I'm going to have three picks and every year I'm going to try and trade one of those picks for two more picks. And anytime I have an option to trade a pick for multiple picks, I'm just going to take it. And so every year I'm just going to have more and more picks. And if some year I need to trade for a star player and I've now I've like over the next seven years, which is as far as you can go out over the next seven years at any given point in time, I'm going to have at least 14 first rounders and probably more like 20 first rounders over that seven year period. If I need to trade for a star player, like, yeah, okay, I want whoever, like a guy like Chris Depps, Porzingis, you know, a solid player, whatever, like, yeah, here's three first round picks. You know, they're all probably protected. They're not all super great, whatever. But like teams are like, yeah, you need a good player that fits anything. You know, like you want to go get yourself an Alex Caruso who like, yeah, two first round picks. Yeah, no problem. Like you'll be able to get like any role player you want. And you're going to, you're always going to be able to turn those things in. And so from my perspective, that's how you use this economic philosophy of like looking at things as neutral asset bases and just always growing your asset base. Like your primary directive is just to always make the asset base larger. Always sell high, always make the asset base larger. Anytime you can make the asset base larger, you just say yes. And then you count on the fact that you have so many assets because it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and more and more momentum that you're going to be able to do something to turn that in what you want when the time is right and when you 
lucked into the star, which you're more likely to luck into because you're getting three first rounders every year. You know, when you luck into those star players, when you luck into whatever, you're going to be able to make things happen. And I think, I think like that is what, that's what I, I think the Bulls should do. So that's my, my off the cuff thinking and, and greater explanation around that. Uh, we will see what happens with the Bulls this year. They, Acme definitely seemed like they were going to press on, you know, kind of like they had this message of like, wait till we see what we do in free agency. Uh, and it's hard for me to see that that's going to be that much. I'm, but they seem excited about it and maybe they're just not going to talk to us about it afterwards so they can say it and do nothing and then uh, never have to live with the results. I don't know, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens then. Anyway, this has been uh, the Bulls Beat. You can uh, yeah follow me on Twitter, Doug underscore Tonus. Probably already doing that if you're listening to this podcast. But uh, yeah, hope to talk to you guys next week.